in 2001, a jury in Norfolk, Virginia, found Gilbert Merritt III guilty of first-degree murder. The judge sentenced him to 30 years in prison. Now, Merritt had an alibi, and there was no physical evidence connecting him to the scene of the crime. Nonetheless, a key witness came forward and connected him to the crime. The jury found this particular woman's testimony compelling, weighted them, decided he was guilty. In 2020, however, this key witness recanted. She said she made the whole thing up because the lead detective in the particular case said, we will drop those other judge, uh, drug charges against you for which you're going to spend decades in prison. We will drop those if you say what I tell you to say. Incidentally, that lead detective was convicted in 2011 for racketeering and extortion. Gilbert Merritt III, however, was finally cleared of charges several weeks ago on July 11th after spending more than 20 years for a crime he did not commit. What's the moral of our story for our purposes this morning? Basically, just you should pay very careful attention to whose testimony that you're listening to. The testimony that you're listening to can have a dramatic effect on the life of somebody else, like that jury listening to a false witness. And of course, the testimony that you're listening to can have a dramatic impact on your own life, as with that witness listening to the deceptive detective who no doubt assured her, everything will go well with you if you just say what I tell you to say. Now, over the last couple of months, we've been looking at John's first letter. Go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 5. And John was writing to a church that had been listening, or rather a number of people in the congregation had listened to a wrong testimony, false teachers. And they had left the church. And so now John is helping to answer the question, okay, what exactly is a Christian? And one of the main things a Christian is, is somebody who listens to the right testimony. And as we near now the end of the letter, John is summing, all this up, summing up all of this by saying there are basically two testimonies you can listen to. You can listen to God's testimony or you can listen to man's testimony. I'll read for you are six verses. First John chapter 5, verse 6, and 2, verse 12. <clears throat> this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. The Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For the, there are these, there, there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, the blood. These three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son has, of God has the testimony in himself. 
whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. <clears throat> and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. The point of our passage is pretty clear. You can listen to man's testimony or you can listen to God's testimony. And only by listening to God's testimony about the Son can we have eternal life. Yet what does this passage mean for us? That's the question we're going to ask this morning. Whose testimony are you listening to? If you turn to page 8, the handout, you'll see that's the first question we're going to ask. Whose testimony are you listening to? John wanted to make sure they were listening to the right testimony, not the wrong testimony like those false teachers who had led people out of the church. This is what he says in the first two verses of our passage. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. This is he who came by the water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. The Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. It's hard to know exactly what John had in mind when he talks about the water and the blood. Some people think, well, maybe he's talking about, well, the water is, is baptism and the the blood is the Lord's table, kind of the two ordinances. Other people say, well, well may, maybe it's Jesus' birth and Jesus' death. I think the simplest explanation and what seems to be the most common explanation is that he's talking about Jesus' baptism, water, and Jesus' death on the cross, the blood. And then the Spirit who descends on Jesus at his baptism, testifies to the life and the, and the ministry and the death of Christ. These three agree. The Spirit, the life of Christ, the death of Christ. Listen to their collective testimony, John is saying. Yet notice also he offers a contrast. He says, not by the water only by the water and the blood. In other words, there were other testimonies out there that people were tempted to listen to, those who were emphasizing the water, which was, would have been associated probably with the Spirit and a misguided appeal to the work of the Spirit together with a downplaying of the ministry of Christ, his work of atonement. Perhaps, perhaps the false teachers were appealing to what was called adoptionism, that Jesus was just a man, but at his baptism, he was adopted, as it were, by God and had this ex special ministry all the way up to the point of, of the resurrection. Or maybe it was a form of desceticism, fancy seminary term, which basically means that Jesus came, he was God, he came, but not fully in the flesh. He was really only in the appearance of, of the flesh. He was just spirit, right? It's a form of Gnosticism. 
But we don't finally know what heresy they were teaching. And apparently it's not important we nail down exactly what heresy they were teaching because John doesn't tell us. If we needed to know, he would have told us. He didn't tell us. What we do know is that there was a false testimony, a false teaching, and a right one. And John sees this other one pitted against the testimony of Jesus and the Spirit, the testimony of the gospel. And the question again for us is, whose testimony are you listening to? I remember when I was doing graduate school back in the way back in the mid 1990s. I remember I'd write these papers and I'd use fancy terms like sociological and cultural embeddedness. We're, we're like in, embedded in our culture, our place. And we can only understand truth, justice, and right and wrong based on where we're embedded, based on our time and place. And I could write about those sorts of things back then, but in some ways, I don't think I really understood them, not really, really. And living a little bit more life, you discover how profoundly we all do just speak for our time and place how embedded we all are. A few weeks ago, I used the example with you of of COVID, and I said, "Did, did you notice how people tend to have very strong opinions on things like masks, quarantines, based on the rooms they were standing in, based on the news channels that were playing in those rooms and based on what all of their friends were saying and based on what their own social political group was. Interesting, we're all mimicking our own groups. Or to use another example, my daughter Emma recently spent a couple of weeks at a pre-college course at an art college and one day she was sitting there at the dinner table in the cafeteria with other women and and, and one of them said, can you, and this was right after the Hobbes decision passed down Roe v. Wade, and one of the women said to the others, can you imagine if anybody in our art school is pro-life? And they all kind of shook their heads and said, no, 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 that's impossible. Well, now, do you assume all of those women who were saying, no, 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 had actually studied the ethics and the science of abortion. They, they kind of dug into the material and worked their way to these conclusions carefully, studiously. Or you assume that they were all just parroting everybody in the rooms around them. Well, if they're like most people, they were just parroting everybody in the rooms around them. Even as they held those views sincerely, deeply, convictionally, and could give you good reasons for them. We are what we eat. We are the voices and testimonies of everybody around us. We hear them, we internalize them, they become us. We're convicted. Even even if we reject the voices of the rooms we're standing in, we're still determined by them. It's as if 
you grew up in a household eating only vanilla frosted donuts. And then one day you went to a friend's house and they gave you a chocolate frosted donut. And you went home to mom and dad and said, I'm not a vanilla person anymore, mom and dad. I am a chocolate person. That is who I am. Your world is utterly defined at that moment by nothing more than chocolate or vanilla. You cannot begin to conceive of the sweet flavor that I discovered a little while back that I'd forgotten for decades of maple and a maple bar. I remember discovering the maple bar and thought, whoa, whole other world right here, this maple bar. This is not chocolate or vanilla. This is coming at you from a completely different angle. It's like diagonal. And having tasted that, I could not untaste that. The maple bar, right? Well, did you realize that what you believe, friends, about truth and righteousness, about salvation and justice, about heaven and hell, is the same as that. You can only know, you can only conceive of what you've been hearing based on the rooms that you've been standing in. You have been, we have been formed by our household, by our friends' houses, by schools, workplaces, movies, media channels, and by all of their testimonies. That's what we think. That's what we know. We can't unthink it. We are, in other words, not pure originals. We are creatures who have been made to image something, mimic something. We are all imagers. We are all mimickers. By creation design, that's all we can do, image something else, mimic something else. Why do we mimic? Why do we image? Well, one, as I said, we are created that way. Number two, because we find our value there. We want to impress and self-validate or self-justify. I'm, I'm one of the cool kids like them, or I'm one of the rebels like them, or I'm one of the rich and successful, or I'm one of the competent moms, or I'm like one of those people who they ask to teach Bible studies. Yet into the small rooms in which we live with all their half-true testimonies comes, according to our text, the Creator Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And He comes with a different testimony. Are we listening? Into our little world comes an outside testimony. Are we listening? Point one, whose testimony are you listening to? Point two, whose testimony should you listen to? At verse 9 again. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Notice that John narrows the field down to basically just two voices, two testimonies that we could be listening to, man and God. There are human testimonies. There is a divine testimony. And the testimony about Jesus Christ that we've been considering throughout this letter is divine. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. The, the basic function of the paragraph that we're looking at this morning 
towards the close of this letter is to say, okay, in light of everything else, you've heard throughout this letter, Christian church, who are you going to listen to? God or man? The question, because do I even need to say it? Look at verse 9 again. The testimony of God is greater. It's greater. And over this last week, friends, you and I have been listening to a series, a series of testimonies, peoples or gods. As, as we've gone about deciding where we're going to invest our desires for the day, as we've gone about deciding who we will obey because we're going to obey somebody, as we've gone about deciding what we're going to work for in our job or what we're going to accomplish in raising our children, what we're going to do with our money, who we're going to sleep with, how we're going to be a friend, what will bring us salvation. As we decide all of these things, we will listen to and build our lives on one or two testimonies, either man's or God's. And what's more, just to be clear, John regards all of his writing, including the words of this letter, as speaking on behalf of God, his Son, and the Holy Spirit who have testified. To hear John speak, he says, is to hear God speak. Uh, Keep your finger here and turn just a few pages later to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony, there's that word again, of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. In other words, you're going to read my words, says John, but all of this is the testimony of God. Okay, now turn back to 1 John. In fact, turn to the first chapter of our letter which we looked at some time back. Look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify, there's that word, to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen, heard, Proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What what is he saying? He's saying, I'm an eyewitness. I was there. I saw it. I, I touched Him. And I'm telling you exactly how it went down. My testimony is God's testimony. So to listen to me is to listen to God. That's what that's what John is saying. So if you're here this morning and you're a visitor, you don't understand yourself furthermore to be a follower of Jesus, let me, let me just put the cards on the table here. We as a church are saying some very presumptuous things. Things that might sound a little crazy. Specifically, look at the third point. Here, here's the crazy stuff that we actually believe. Look at verse 11. Point three, what's the testimony we need? Look at verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Okay, again, here's 
Here's the crazy that we believe as a church. Number one, we believe that from eternity past, Jesus and the Son and the Spirit dwelled together as one God in perfect love and harmony and made the decision to create the world and then redeem a people. We believe that, that Jesus is God. We believe, number two, that God decided to send his son, Jesus Christ, to put on flesh, be born of an infant, walk among us, fully God and now fully man, uh, absorbing all the realities and trials of human life and human existence, living the perfect life that we should have lived but haven't. Believe that. We believe, number three, that this holy God, fully man, Jesus Christ, went to the cross and died willingly taking on himself the penalty that we deserve. Because we've sinned against God. Though created good, we've sinned against God, and Jesus received from God the punishment that we deserve. He is our substitute. And then, we believe, fourth, he rose again, conquering sin's power and sin's punishment death. He rose again from the grave so that everyone who repents of their sins and puts their trust in Christ can have what this verse says, eternal life. This is the testimony that God has borne concerning his son, says verse 9. And there's one more thing. We believe that when God spoke, John wrote it down. And the testimony that we have in Scripture, again, is God's own testimony. Does all this sound a little crazy to you? Does all this sound maybe a little audacious? Well, is it audacious, recklessly bold of us? Well, if there is a God, wouldn't you expect Him to speak? And if He can speak, wouldn't you expect that he would speak to us? And if there is a God who speaks, and if he has spoken to us, is it audacious to say, yeah, he's done it, I'm listening, or is it audacious to say, nope, I'm not going to listen to that? Which is more proud? Listen to God? To say you know better? Not to listen to God. Sometimes people like to say, well, if God like wrote his name on rocks or in clouds in the sky, then I would listen. Well, he has written his name. He even came in the person of Jesus Christ. And he sent a host of prophets and a host of apostles to come along and testify to them. Are you sure you would believe if he wrote it in the sky? I understand, friend, you might not accept all of that. After all, there are two possible responses bringing us to our fourth point this morning. Point four, what are the two responses? Well, there's only 
two possible responses. We accept the Lord's testimony or we reject it. We, we accept what God says or we, in fact, call him a liar, according to this verse. Look at verse 10 again. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. I, I said that we as a church believe a number of audacious sounding things. Let me add one more to the list. Not only do we believe God has spoken, not only do we believe he has revealed himself to apostles like this John who wrote down what God spoke, we believe that each of us, when we share this testimony, are actually speaking for God. Look at verse 10 again. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. We have God's testimony in us, saints. Meaning we believe it, we understand it, we can explain it. We have it in ourselves. And the rest of this verse, if anything, is even more brazen. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. You're calling me a liar, says the Lord Almighty. Friend, you do not want to stand before God on the final day. The one who created you, the one who created the stars and the galaxies and the suns. You do not want to stand before him one day and say, well, you know, God, I was trying to be careful about where to invest my hopes. And him saying, I spoke very clearly. You have called me a liar. You don't want the Almighty saying that to you. Well, what about the person who's never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Friends, that's not us. We have all heard. We have a choice. We accept or we reject. In these verses, John, God, is challenging us. Whose testimony will you listen to? Will you listen to my testimony, says the Lord, or will you listen to the testimony of the world around you, the rooms you're standing in, the televisions that you're watching, the class, the groups that you occupy? You can disbelieve. You can say, I'm going to go with the skeptical voices out there. That's your choice, says John. Maybe John's an imposter. Maybe God never came. Maybe God never spoke. Maybe the universe is impersonal, dead, silent. Or maybe he did speak, but who's to say? Whose voice is right? So many counterfeits out there. How do we know? I'm just going to back away from making a judgment. Well, you're making a judgment, says John. If you decide not John, which is to say not God, you are making a judgment. Every one of us walks out of here this morning making a judgment. You can't escape making a judgment. You're going to make a judgment. The jury's got to make a decision. This or that. Guilty, not guilty. You're going to make a judgment. Does John speak for God or does he not? Do you give your life to that or do you not? We're all going to make a decision. The judgment, if you don't, God's a liar, says verse 10. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, John does mean to encourage you. He means to say, 
Brother, sister, you have this testimony in yourself, that thing you've been banking your life on, that thing that you've kind of left, all that could be yours in this world. And as you've followed after Christ, you have the testimony of God in yourself. Praise the Lord is what he's saying to us. Be encouraged. Yes, the eternal God has spoken. He has testified through his servant John, and we have heard him. We can trust it. The life decisions that we make on top of it. It it does feel audacious, doesn't it? Oh, we're the the biggest of fools, says Paul, if if Christ did not get up from the dead. In, In a world of thoroughgoing epistemological skepticism and Rational uncertainty. You can't know anything for sure. You can only speak for your own perspective. All so-called truth claims are power grabs, says the world around us. We're all sociologically and culturally embedded. That's true, but God spoke came into the room, he testified. We have heard his testimony. I'm not going to call, call, call God a liar. Could it be that the voices around us which insist that all truth claims are only perspectival from a perspective, a that all Christian doctrine is merely one group trying to assert its power over another group. Could it be that those voices are actually the power grab? That they want to fashion the world in their image? If God has spoken and spoken through apostles like John, isn't the the humblest thing of all simply to listen? Say, okay, God, I hear you. I'm listening. I'll submit, believe, and follow. I've received your testimony. I know how this works. I have kids. I say, hey, can you clean up their room? And one will come back and say, well, they won't do it. And they'll come back and I'll say, didn't, didn't, didn't I ask you to clean up your room? Didn't, didn't I say that? And the kid will say something, well, I thought you meant, you know, later something. No, I said clean up your room. That's that's what I I said. Clear. What's the posture of humility in that moment? Posture of humility is, yes, you've spoken. I'll listen. And friends, so it is with us and the Almighty. There's only two possible responses. We accept or we reject. There is no in-between. Every one of us, as I said, will walk out of here accepting or rejecting. Accepting, making a judgment that God has spoken through John and that we can have life in the Son or rejecting that. And verse 9, the testimony of God is greater. Why is it greater? Lots of reasons. One's in verse 11. 
conclude by looking at it again. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. This life is in His Son. God gives His people eternal life. You know what the words eternal life mean, I trust. Life eternally, right? Eternal life forever. Doesn't stop. When we've been there 10,000 years, says the hymn writer John Newton, we've just begun. When we've been there a million years, we've just begun. It's, it's eternal. I can't, can't get my head around that. Eternity. My heart wants it, though. The author of Ecclesiastes says our hearts, our heads can't get around it, but our hearts want it because it doesn't make sense for good things to die. And, and the promise here is that good things won't finally die. Good things finally are eternal. Yet notice the, the, the full phrase. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in His Son. That, that's the testimony, eternal life in the Son. And the Greek word for in, to pronounce it in Greek is in. In other words, John's not merely interested in the, in the extent of our eternal life. He's, he's interested in the substance, the quality of it. It's, it's in the Son. And the eternal life is equated here with life in the Son. As one commentator puts it, eternal life is not an unending extension of life as we know it. Rather, it is having Jesus Christ himself. Eternal life is identified with Jesus Christ. I, I like how he put it. Eternal life is not an extension of life as we know it. It, it is an extension, but not as we know it. Eternal life is profoundly personal. Eternal life is profoundly enmeshed in, embedded in, lived in and through the glory and the beauty and the power of the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard John Piper's question. If, if you get to heaven and everything's there that you hoped would be there, but not Jesus Christ himself, would it be heaven still for you? Is the point of heaven not Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus? Is that not what your soul is waiting for? Well, doesn't eternity get boring? People wonder. Well, not if you are in perfect fellowship, harmony, transparency with your Creator, the lover of your soul, who's wired every cell in your body and fine-tuned every synapse in your brain for eternal joy. And eternal joy in the Son, and the Son who is eternal. So if, if the Son and the Father and the Spirit are eternal, and we're in Him, 
And we have all eternity to explore the knowledge, the personal knowledge of God in Christ. This eternal God, will we ever tire? Will we ever run out of things to explore and discover and enjoy in God? Will it get boring? This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. You can't always trust the testimonies of this world's courtrooms. You can't trust this testimony. It's an eternal testimony. It's the testimony for a friend for which you and I were created. What's your judgment? What you're going to invest in? Let's pray. Lord God, we give you praise for being a speaking God. We give you praise for revealing yourself to us through the prophets and apostles, and most of all, most perfectly in Jesus Christ. Help us to give ourselves entirely over to him and to your testimony, Father God. Because it is true and it is life. And it is life in your Son. Help us not to heed other voices, other testimonies, but yours alone. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.